were here yesterday. Some of you already know Ecclesiastes anyway. What would you say is the theme of the book? Vanity. Vanity means? Worthless. Worthless. Another synonym. Emptiness. Emptiness. And what is it that's empty? Worldly things. Yeah. All that's under the sun. Everything that's here, not talking about spiritual things, but all that relates to this life, is ultimately not fulfilling. And um, we're taking this as Solomon, who wrote it. Uh, I'm not necessarily staking my life on that, but that's the perspective we're looking at it from. And, and uh, from Solomon's perspective, what all had he tried to find fulfillment and meaning in? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything, like? Knowledge. Knowledge and? Pleasure. Pleasure and? Entertainment. Entertainment and? Yeah, buildings, accomplishments. And the big one for 21st century Americans? Wealth. Wealth. And so on. And all of those things didn't really fulfill it. You know, he didn't really find them to have much substance to them. And uh, there were several factors in that. And that's what we're going to start looking at today even more. Is some of the things that make these things in life so empty. You know, why is that? And we're also going to look at some more of his counsel as to the best way to live this life. You know, it is empty, but there are better and worse things to do with life. And so, this is a wisdom book. It's giving us deeper things about the ultimate meaning and purpose of life and it's teaching us some practical things about how to live this life but the bottom line always is you're not going to find what life's really all about unless you look beyond the sun to the Lord and unless that's what you turn to to fill you up so we're going to start in chapter 3 and would somebody read chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant it and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to sh throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak up. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There are so many passages in the Bible that we're used to taking out of context and using them to mean something else than what they mean in context. This is a perfect example. In context, do you understand the point that the preacher is making about this time for this and time for that business? Why, why is he saying that? Why is that bad? No matter what you do, if soon or at another time, whatever you did will be reversed. Yeah, that's the idea. You're not really in control. You know, you, you start with uh, verse 2. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. Just how much control did you have over the time that you were born? 
I guess in some senses you did, but you weren't responsible for making you. And so you were born when, you know, whatever genetic factors and other things, the face of the moon or whatever, determined that. And the time to die. You might hasten that process, but uh, can you just kind of decide, well, look, you know, um, I'm not going to die this year. No, I, won't, I don't want to do that. It's not up to us. No, those are fundamental things. If you don't even control when the time for you to be born and when it's time to die, you don't control much of anything else either. There's so many things about life that are just out of your hands. They happen, the time for them to happen, and sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't really know. You can't really predict it. And it's frustrating if you're trying to find fulfillment in this life, the fact that you're not really self-determined. The fact that so many things, there's a time for war and a time for peace. What are you going to do about whether America's at war or peace? You going to change that? No, I mean, you guys, some of you are kind of young, but uh, some of you may have looked for summer jobs and not found them. You know, uh, who, uh, you know, how much control do you have of the economy? You know, I mean, there's a time when the stock market goes up and there's a time when it, you know, tanks. I mean, those are just, things happen. All kinds of, there's time you get sick and there's time you get well. Now, okay, you drink plenty of orange juice and eat a lot, eat a lot of vitamins and do others, and does that keep you from getting sick? <laughs> there's still a time you get sick, there's time you get well, but you don't. Uh, and, and there's time to weep and time to laugh. I mean, you know why you weep? I mean, there's things that happen around you that are, that are grievous. You don't really control those things. There's so many things in life you don't control. So that's a frustrating factor about life. These are things that he's trying to tell us, tell us see why life is so empty. These are some of the factors that just frustrate us if we're trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life under the sun. The fact is, life here stinks. Now, would you, would you look at that and would you say, well, God just really messed up here. I mean, after all, he created the world and... Uh, you know, why did he make it this way? Is that the way we ought to look at that? No. He did create the world, didn't he? So why did he make it this way? Why did he make it so empty and meaningless? Didn't our sin make it that way? That's exactly right. Romans 8 talks about how uh, the creation is subject to vanity. But it's because of sin. Before sin, man was in perfect harmony and fellowship with God in a perfect environment. It was almost like heaven on the earth. It was wonderful. There wasn't all this emptiness and vanity and frustration. There wasn't even a time to die. And there wasn't a time to get sick. And there wasn't a time to weep and all that stuff. This is what sin brought on us. So don't blame God. The fact is, life is you know, empty, and it stinks. But, but it's bec- these are the consequences of our sin. And if sin didn't have consequences, I mean, what would happen if, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've thought about this before, but uh, what, what if you didn't have nerve endings, and you couldn't feel pain? You, would, you didn't feel any pain. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, nothing. No matter what, you know, you're sick, you, you know, whatever you do, you must smash your finger, what, you don't feel pain. Yeah. How many of you 
would, if you had the chance, you could take this pill and you'd never again feel anything, how many of you would take it? Alright, you're smart. Why not, Josh? You'd die. You wouldn't know when you were hurt or not. You, I mean, you could be sick or have an infection. You wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Leprosy. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you touch a hot stove and you smell your fingers burning. You know, and things like that. I mean, I've got a friend who, um, old friends who are diabetic. Uh, you know, and like, you know, one of them, uh, he's uh, passed away now, but, but like, I don't know, he had something hot uh, near his foot. I don't remember what it was. He burned his foot. Uh, and he didn't know until he could smell it, because he had no feeling in his feet. That's a terrible thing. If God made it to where we could continue in sin and, you know, we could continue in this sin-cursed environment, but we felt no pain. We didn't feel the frustration and the emptiness of it. It'd be worse. Then we'd just be okay with this. And we'd have no motivation to seek the Lord who is no longer in fellowship with man automatically like he was in the garden. So in a sense, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God didn't make it to where we didn't feel the pain of what sin has brought upon the world. So these are the, some of the, this is one of the factors that make life frustrating. Do you have a comment or question through verse 8? 9 to 15. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken, taken from it. God does it, that men should do before him. That which is has already been, and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. So, you know, this is, this, there's no profit, there's no value in this. And, and again, he's dealing with some frustrating factors and also some advice as to how to live it. One of the frustrating factors is, not only do you not control what happens, but you don't even know what's going to happen. You can't predict it. You know, verse, verse 11. He's made everything appropriate in his time. Not you that does it, it's him. He's also said eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. You don't know what's going to happen. You can't even prepare for it. You know, there are sometimes life hits you a curveball completely from left field. You had no idea what's coming. And it just blindsides you. That's the way it is. You, you know there's a time for various things that God determines, but you can't even figure out when that time it will be. It just happens. That's a frustrating factor in life. What's the best thing you can do then in this life? Do good to others, eat and drink, and enjoy the life that we're given. Absolutely. The best thing you'll get out of this life is to enjoy the moment. You can't store it up. Sometimes people are trying to kind of stockpile the enjoyment. I'll get some later. No, you may not even be around later. Or it may not be possible to enjoy it later. You know, if you're going to enjoy something, 
If you can do it now, do it. Take advantage of those enjoyable moments. Now, that's not going to fill you up. It's not going to solve life's vanity, but it's the best thing you'll get out of this life, as far as this life is concerned. It's just moments of eating and drinking and receiving the gifts and blessings God gives. So often, we want to be in control, so we want to try to set things up to where I've got, I'm going to control the enjoyment I'm going to have out of life. It will never work that way. You know, so the best thing to do is take advantage of, of what we can do in the moment. Again, he says in verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take away from it. You can't change what God does. That's the point he's making. For God is so worked that men should fear Him. God wants us to totally depend on Him and realize that we just don't decide what's going to happen. So, you don't control what's going to happen, and you can't predict what's going to happen. Those are empty, frustrating things about this life if that's what we are living for. Comments and questions. Some more frustrating factors. 16 and 17. Moreover, I saw in his son, in the place of judgment, wickedness is there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity is there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. There's a time there for every purpose and for every work. Okay. So, um, what's he frustrated about right here? Yeah. You see that? You know, is there anything unjust that happens? Is there anything not unjust that happened? I mean, you know, what are some applications? Where where, where do you see, you know, injustice in life? Where don't you see it? Yeah, what are some some realms where you see things that just aren't right? You know, they're just, just, you know, frustrating because they're unjust. Give me some examples. Every any time the criminal gets off, ever any time an innocent guy gets gets framed, and both of those things happen, injustice shouldn't be that way. But it is. Where else do you see it? Sickness. Okay. Yes. I'm thinking more about injustice that men cause to men. What are some injustices that men cause? Unfortunately, sometimes in the church. <laughs> That's the truth. What be an example? What kind of thing? I guess when when one brother would either treat another brother in a way that was um, either through gossiping or through unjustly uh, accusing somebody and, and spreading that around in a way that was that wasn't right, not the example which we have for Matt, dealing with that. That's the truth. You ever know known rumors that were totally false? There can be some. I've seen some things that are just like it's ridiculous, and 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 people start believing it. It's not just. It's not fair. You know, maybe somebody had it out to get somebody. Maybe somebody misunderstood something. And pretty soon, you know, tons of people turn on you and you had nothing to do with it. And you were totally in the clear. That's, that sort of thing happens. It's not right. What are you going to do about it? You going to change that in this life? You know, what else? What would be some other examples? Where 
What happens? Corrupt people get promoted, while good people stay at the bottom of the future. Yeah. Why would corrupt people get promoted? They, you said they cheat? Yeah. Lots of cheating. Lots of, uh, you know, doing things to get in good with the boss. You know, what about the, the girl who's having an affair with the boss? You know, who has maybe no competence, but, but she, uh, you know, gets promoted over you. Because she's willing to do whatever he wants her to do. Those kind of things happen all the time. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't just. They aren't fair. And you'll see a bunch more. The older you get, the more things you'll see. It's like, oh, that shouldn't happen. Wickedness in the place of righteousness. That's frustrating. If this life is all there is, man, it's horrible. Other comments on that? Now, let me go back to my illustration yesterday. Some of you weren't here. Isn't this depressing? Well, it's depressing in the same way. You guys will have to endure this who are in here for four days. Um, but it's depressing in the same way that when your oven goes out, you go down to the appliance store, and you buy this box that uh, on it it's written R-E-F-R-I-G-E-R-A-T-O-R. Refrigerator. And you, uh, you bring it home and you put your food in it to cook. It doesn't cook. And you start messing with the knobs and the gadgets and the buttons and whatever. And it still doesn't cook anything. And so you start hitting it and kicking it and shoving it and, you know, contorting it in various ways. And it still won't cook anything. And finally you get a friend that comes along and says, well, I'm sorry, but it's not going to cook anything. It's not built to cook anything. Would the friend be doing you a favor or be hurting you by giving you that bad news? Why? Yeah. Because it won't cook anything. You might as well know it. You know, you're thinking that if you just hit it right, it would. It's not going to make it do it. If you know it won't, then you're not going to have uh, disappointed expectations. Maybe you'll be able to find another box at the appliance store that would cook your food, and maybe you can get some good out of the refrigerator conserving some food. This life won't fulfill you. It will not give you meaning and purpose and substance. You will never look back and say, that really, that's something that I can hang on to. You might as well know it. Because then you can look beyond the sun for the fulfillment. And then you can not have unrealistic expectations. And you can enjoy enjoyable moments in this life. Because you know that's all you're going to get out of it anyway. So this is depressing stuff for a really good purpose. It's depressing to know the refrigerator won't cook my food. But it, it's better for me in the long run. Might have been nice if they had told me that at the appliance store. But you know how that is. All right. Comments or questions through verse 17. 18 to 22. I said to myself concerning the son of, sons of man, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of man and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beasts. For all is vanity. All go to the same place. All come from the dust and return to the dust. Who knows what the branch of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. I have seen that nothing is better 
then that a man should be happy in his activities, for this is his lot. For who will bring him, bring him to see what will occur after him? Now here is the greatest injustice of them all, and what's that? What happens? We all die just we, like the animals. We all die just like the animals. We die just like an animal dies. Aren't you better than an animal? Well, sort of, but not really. Under the sun, what happens to you? Yeah, and what happens when you die? What happens when you die? To you, to your to your body? Disintegrates. Yeah. yeah. And eventually, it fertilizes the earth or whatever. Oh, uh, what about an animal? What happens to an animal? Disintegrates. Yeah. Born, it lives, it dies, and it fertilizes the earth. And uh, you know. Man isn't even the critter that lives the longest on the earth. You know, there are animals that live longer than men do. So, I mean, when it's all said and done, how are you any different than an animal? You say, well, I've got a soul or spirit that goes to be with the Lord. Okay, but that's beyond the sun. Yeah, you're right. That's where he wants you to go. But if you're just thinking about this life itself, I mean, you got the same destiny as your dog. You, you can't tell under the sun that you're any different than the dog is. In the ultimate point, same thing happens to both of you. And your dog might stick around longer than you do. Who knows? So, the best thing you can get out of this life? Well, he comes back to it for a third time now. I've seen that nothing's better than the man should be happy in his activities. Well, that's his life. The <laughs> best thing you'll do. Be happy in the activity because you're not going to they're going to take anything with you. Comments and questions on chapter 3. I have a suggestion. You don't have to do this. Some of you may not want to. My suggestion is we stand up for a minute. It is so great that I get to teach these classes here standing up. I would not do well if I had to teach them sitting down. But you know, when you stand up, you can move around, you know, you kind of wake yourself up. And when you get to, you know, you guys are great because, you know, I can be a little more exaggerated in my, you know, speaking, not that I'm not already, but I can be even more and it kind of perks me up. Uh, you guys have to sit here and listen. So it's just really difficult to, uh, to do that. I appreciate your attitude. And, uh, so, uh, uh, somebody was suggesting on the way down here that uh, next year we need to put napping as one of the activities we can <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to vote to be the counselor for that. Uh, <laughs> All right. Now, we're, we're going to keep going. You can sit down when you want to, but you're welcome to keep standing, whatever you want to do. Um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore I praise the day who were already dead, 
more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that has done them with Now here's another frustrating factor, and it's pretty close to what he's already said. What's the frustration he's seeing here? Oppression. You know, people being put down, taken advantage of, and hurt by other people. Now, who usually does the oppressing, according to this passage? Those who are in power. Absolutely. There's the root of oppression, the inequality of power. Whoever's got the power usually abuses it. And that is the truth. You know, they say, what is it, the expression somebody back a long time ago said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more power you got, the more you're going to oppress. And, and it, is the, it is the strangest thing. I, I'd illustrate it. This is probably not a good illustration for kids, but, but some of you will know this. I mean, back, I don't know, 100 years ago or more, the, the companies, the businesses were exploiting their workers and taking because they had the power. So that gave rise to the unions. They gave power to the workers. Well, in a lot of cases today, the unions have more power than the companies, and they exploit it. And it's like, well, whoever's got the power, they're going to put down those who are underneath them. You can see it sometimes in school or something like that. You know, what do the cool, popular kids do? smoke. <laughs> yeah, they probably do. I'm thinking about what do they do with each other. They put down the people beneath them, usually. And, and you watch it. You know, you've seen this, some of you older ones especially, you've seen where that can kind of change around some. Some of the kids who weren't very cool or popular a few years ago kind of grow to be that. Some of the people who used to be kind of lose out in that. And, and the guys who weren't, who get there, they exploit it. Well, I'll tell you where you can really see it. Some of you come from big families. What do the older kids do? Tell me the older kids in the family don't put down the younger ones. It happens all the time. Yeah. Isn't that true? And uh, if we have any younger ones here, they can probably testify, although a good many of you are older ones. Kemi's a younger one. Uh... But, uh, you know, and, and what I've seen that's amazing, you take a big family, you take the guy who, you know, used to be one of the younger ones, but the older ones have gotten older and grown up and moved off or whatever, and these who used to be put down, now they're the big guys, and they put the next ones down the line down. Power leads to oppression. And he says, what's worse, there's nobody to comfort him. Who's going to help out the little guy? Most of the time, nobody. Most of the time, they just suffer, and there's nothing they can do about it. That's not right. There's a part of life that's not right, and you hate it. And sometimes I've seen people getting oppressed like that. There's nothing I can do about it. It makes you mad, because it's not the way it ought to be. But it is. That's a part of this life that makes it empty and frustrating. Comments and questions about that? You would not have thought that this book was written 3,000 years ago, would you? <laughs> it's pretty much the way it is right now. You know what that tells me? For a 
as much as we've advanced, we're just the same as we've always been. <laughs> That's what it tells me. Alright, we're going to shift directions a little bit in the book for a little bit. And he's going to start giving us advice about the best way to live this life. It's empty, but there are better and worse ways of dealing with it. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of... Quaintness, then two hands full of toil, a striving after wind. Again, I say vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an and an unhappy business. Alright, now I'm not sure how much you see what that's saying, but I think this is quite a helpful thing about living life. It's really trying to give us a balance between two things. You look at verse four. What causes people to drive themselves and work really hard? Envy. What are they trying to do? Others. Impress and get better than other people. How much of that do you see? A whole lot. What do you get out of it? Pretty much nothing. Pretty much nothing. That's pretty well the way it is. And and you see it all the time. People really striving to really be great at something. And they work really hard and they deprive themselves and they sacrifice and they get it. And what do they have? Do you usually impress others very much? How do they usually feel when you get there? Yeah, jealous. (laughs) You know, they don't like it that you got there. They're not impressed. They wanted to get there themselves. Think about sports. Guys, who wants to lose? How much effort do you put into winning? You want to lose ball? Good for you. I bet there'll be lots of people wanting to play. <laughs> you know, it's like we drive ourselves. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this. And what do we get when we do it? We're just tired. We're, we're you know, frustrated. You know, whatever. In school. How many people really try to get the best grades? They want to do, they want to be on top. You know, I got to get all A's. I got to get the best test scores. And all. Well, how come? Well, I got to do better than they do. I got to, you know, what did you get? What you got there? People do it in their jobs. Man, they'll just drive themselves so they can climb the ladder, so they can do better, so they can grow, so they can get, you know. He says, here's what I've seen. that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. It's just trying to get ahead of the next guy. 
And what does he say about it? It's vanity and striving after the wind. You're just chasing the wind. You're putting a whole lot of effort into something that you'll never get. Because you're trying to get fulfilled by being better than everybody else. It's not going to be fulfilling. It's really not. Now I'm going to talk some more about that, but look at verse 5. He's going to give us the corrective, the balance there. Verse 5 is really talking about what? What's the subject in verse 5? The fool does what? Holds his hands and seems his own flesh. Which means he's, what, what, what's the word to describe this guy, this lazy. fool? He's lazy. You know, the lazy guy shouldn't do, do anything. He's, he's found out the life kind of stinks and it's, it's empty, and so he just sits down and he just doesn't do anything. You know lazy people like that? They don't work, they don't try to better themselves, they don't do anything. Well, what do they end up having to do? According to the text. Eat themselves. Why? Too lazy to go get food. Yeah, exactly. They don't have anything else to eat. They don't have to consume their own flesh, so to speak. Does laziness really, uh, is that a good way to live? Well, unless so. you enjoy eating yourself. I mean, you know, so there needs to be a balance between, you know, uh, overwork and laziness. You know, the best thing is verse 6. Moderation. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. You don't want to be lazy, and that's not going to help. That's not the best way to live. But overwork and over, you know, just driving yourself, pushing yourself. I've got to be the best at everything. That's also not going to be the best way to live. Um, you know, when you're really driving for excellence, it's very self-centered. It's very empty. But when you're just sitting around saying, I'm just not going to do anything, well, that's, that's, that's not going to help. And now he gives you, and he does this a lot in Ecclesiastes, he gives a little story to illustrate the point. You know, maybe, maybe he's intending for us to say, I know somebody like that. You know, he says, there's this man in verse 8, that he didn't have a dependent, neither a son or a brother, and yet he was working himself to death. He was accumulating all this stuff to lead to who? He, he has no relationships with anybody. All he can think about is getting ahead and getting more and getting more and getting more. He never was asking, for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? You know, it's like this guy is just driven, but it's never crossed his mind to ask, well, what am I doing this for? What am I getting out of this? I think, I don't, I'm not, uh, you know, rested enough mentally probably to apply this as well as I should. I think this is a great lesson. And I've changed my mind about a lot of stuff over the years. You know, really relating to this. I mean, I used to be really competitive in sports. I wasn't very good, but I was very competitive. I wanted to win. You know, the older I've gotten, the less I care. I mean, sometimes it's almost like I don't really want to. Especially if it matters to the other guy. Because you beat him and that he just feels bad. And what did you get out of it? It doesn't make me feel any better. It's empty still. You know, I, I worked really hard in school. Uh, and I, except for gym class, I got all A's in high school and college. 
for what? You know, that meant a lot to me right then. I look back and, and it gives me absolutely no bad about it. Didn't help anything. Why did I put all that effort into it? Now I understand if I wanted to become a nuclear physicist or something, I probably had to do that. I mean, sometimes to, you know, be able to get certain jobs or whatever, you got to take certain classes, you got to get certain grades. But, but you know, I realized I just wanted to, I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I wanted to make myself that good. We need to be careful not to give first-rate effort to second-rate causes. Mm-hmm. Kind of the Martha principle. Remember Mary and Martha? What was Martha all worried about? Getting dinner right. Yeah, dinner in the house. And Mary, what was she worried about? Listening to Jesus. She was better. You know, when we put all this emphasis on, I'm going to be, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be really good. I'm going to be excellent. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other thing. I'm going to, you know, really. He's saying that it's really not helpful. You really don't get that much. I mean, all you're trying to do is be better than somebody else. Now, don't be lazy. But, but this, and you know, some of it is just. Can you let me preach a while since you know, you're here? And, you know, I'm here. Uh, what about what about our fixation on some forms of entertainment that are so empty? And I, you know, some things I hate because I know how addicting they are to me if I'm not careful. I think all the computer games and stuff and so forth it's to be just so empty. Man, it's just hard for me to understand the value in investing tons of hours growing in whatever computer game, you know, I don't even understand these things anymore. Certainly way far away from Breakout, where I used to, you know, play that when I was in high school, you know, the Pong thing, you know, breaks those bricks away or whatever. That's kind of where I was, maybe the initial Pac-Man, you know, whatever, you know, and even those things. I mean, I, I, I got to where I didn't like them because I realized they had a hold on me. They, you know, I wanted them too badly. And, and every time you get through, you know, I'd spend a long time doing them, I felt so empty. I just felt, I think, I think trying to, trying to develop a balance between this, this overwork and laziness is a really good principle for living this life. I talked way too much. Say something if you want to. I think many times we're, we, we, we work hard, but we work hard on the wrong things. And I think that's exactly what we're, what we're talking about. We, 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 we try to put all our energy into something, and then like you said, we just look at what we've done for the past month or the past day, and it feels so empty. And uh, I remember, you know, I guess kind of the happiest days of my life, um, I guess the, the specific days, are days I can look back and I said, I spent myself for God that day. I spent that entire day, well, I, you know, I, I really served God that day, and I was worn out and tired because of that. And I felt so filled, so satisfied that I had given God my all that day. And uh, that's just the most wonderful feeling I've ever had in my entire life. Just knowing that that day I spent that that time serving God, and I was worn out from it. And uh, that's that's the most amazing feeling that I've ever had. And we need to make sure that you know, as we're working hard, we work hard toward serving God, and that's the only thing that matters. There is so much value in sacrifice. Doing easy stuff for the Lord 
you know, is really not very valuable. Working hard for the Lord. That's what will fill you up. Other thoughts? Sometimes we might, or at least I do, uh, you know, study and pray during the day, but then we have some time left and do, you know, computer games or whatever. Um, and not all of that is necessarily bad. But since when do I mean, where do you read about Jesus going out and just having fun? You know, that extra time we have. Sure, we've already studied, we've already prayed. That's great. Go do it some more. Um, you know, we can never have enough. Yeah. It's so much more helpful. Yes, and, and trying to even understand the balance and all of that of this. I think I think Solomon would say, hey, enjoy enjoyable things. But, but they don't fill you up. They don't give you anything to take home. They're, they're empty. You know, enjoying something pretty or something fun or something exciting at the moment. Yeah, do that. But, but why do we obsess ourselves with those things? Why do we give ourselves to those things? Because we really think if we got more of them, they'd fulfill us. And they're not doing it. We still feel just as empty. The thing that fulfills us we make sacrifices. And you get to where, honestly, you get to where you don't even want a lot of the stuff you used to want. You get to where it frustrates you, the emptiness of so much stuff. It just leaves you feeling, I don't know, just, it, it, I, I think because we were expecting so much out of them. It's just such a depressing, disappointing thing that almost annoys you. And you really want to, you want to seek what's beyond the sun because you're tired of feeling empty. I think. Good comments. Other thoughts? Here's another good principle. I like this one, 9 to 12. This will be easy to understand. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of free Syrians is not quickly torn apart. So, he's still, still dealing, I think, primarily in the context with what's the best way to live this life. And the best thing to value in this life, in this passage, is what? What? What's the, what's the value here? Exactly. Friendship, in terms of what you'll get in this life, is one of the best things you can get. A whole lot better than most other things from this life. You know, companionship is much better than accomplishment. It's much better than, than driving yourself to be better. It is. You know, and he's trying to help us see the relative value of these things. Now, friendship in itself is not going to bring fulfillment in life. It's not going to fill you up, but it is one of the better things that there are in this life. And he gives some practical illustrations of that. You know, two people are walking together and one of them falls down, or the other one can lift him up. 
You know, you you work working together, you can accomplish so much more. You can help each other out. You know, and 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 some other illustrations of that as well. A threefold cord, like a cord of three strands, is not quickly broken. It, the, you know, if you if you weave those strands together, it's a whole lot stronger than any one of those would have been by themselves. Now, I think there's some spiritual application to this. I think the principle applies. I mean, how many times do you fall and nobody knows? Why would you do that? Why is it that we don't let people know when we fall? Exactly. We're embarrassed. It's kind of a reflection of pride. We're trying to keep up the image that we're good. Much of the time we're not very successful at that. You know, and, and, and I'll tell you how you can tell. You know, here's the difference between somebody who's, uh, who's hiding and somebody who's real. You can have a close rela- relationship with somebody who's real. Even if they're not doing great, if they're real, you can be close to them. You'll never be close to a costume because there's nothing inside. It's so empty. The mask is just so superficial that you'll never find that closeness. We need the companionship to lift each other up when we fall. We need that 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 kind of relationship. So I think there's great spiritual application. We need to bond together. And if you're the kind of person, and there's a lot of people like this, you're the kind of person that you fall alone. I probably not get up very well most of the time. Because it's hard to get up by yourself. Quit it. I don't care how humiliating it is. Reach out to others that you can walk together with and lift each other up. They probably need it too. Comments and questions? we handle when we're falling you know for, for ourselves and yet we're looked up as to be a leader I mean there's so many people under us that look for us as an example and someone who, who, who leads everyone is who's, who's a leader uh, spiritually you know and, and then you fall again and, and how do you handle that excellent question what do you do you're kind of looked up to you're respected and yet you're falling what should you do about that You need to be an example on how you handle that as well. I think you're exactly right. Which means what? Well, do what you're supposed to do and get help. Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. I, I think that we make a mistake when we think that I've got to keep up my image because I don't want to discourage everybody that's depending on me. I think that's mostly the devil's way of keeping us from doing what we ought to do. Now, I struggle with that myself. So I understand the temptation in that. But I'll tell you what happens. There's a couple things that happen. 
One is, how are people supposed to know how they ought to handle when they fall spiritually? If those that they look up to don't show them the model of what they ought they do when they fall spiritually. You know, it's not like we got two categories. There's some people when they fall, they need to reach out for help, and they need to be open and honest, and there's the rest of us who are so good that we just handle it on our own. And it's not like that. I'll tell you the other thing that happens. It's exactly what Kyle was saying last night. You know how many people here, and some of you are in this boat, you look around, you come to a camp like this, and you like it. But you say, I don't fit in. I don't measure up. Everybody else here is so much stronger than I am. You know why they think that? Because those that they're looking at are so much stronger aren't honest. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some people doing well. I'm not saying we need to artificially say we're doing badly just so we can act like we're humble. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't let the fact that we need to be a good example be another motivating factor in doing what's right. But I'm saying that putting on a mask as a leader doesn't make us any less empty than it does for anybody else. We need to be honest. And when we fall, we need to be honest and open and and, and talk. And and there is I, I really believe that our lack of honesty drains the life out of us because we know we're a hypocrite. We feel like a hypocrite. We go around and people say, I really respect you. You really encourage me. You know, I really think you're, you're doing so well. You help me so much. And how do we feel? Oh, man. It just kills us. We feel like we're two-faced. We feel... We feel bad inside but the more people say that to us you know what we feel I can't let them know I've got to still act like I'm okay I think the right thing to do as a leader and I confess to you I've not always been a good leader in this but I think the right thing to do is be exactly what we'd expect somebody else to be in that situation do you agree with that? I don't see any better way than that I mean you look at you look at the Bible how many, how many Bible heroes do you know that the Bible doesn't present their faults? There's a few. There's not many. Probably the biggest Bible heroes you know. What about David? The Bible cover up David, David's faults. You know. What about Abraham? What about Jacob? What about Moses? You know. What about Samuel? And you know, on and on. What about Jeremiah and Job and? You know, wow. I mean, some of the greatest heroes in the Bible that help us the most, sometimes they help us because they, like David, I think one of the biggest help David is to me is he shows me how to deal with the, when I really fall. You know, if we had never seen that in David, you think it helped us more? I don't think so. Josh? I think what's really helpful, though, about looking at those all these stories is that even these great heroes of faith, they send, and some of them send quite bravely. Uh, if you look at David's sin with Bathsheba, I mean, it wasn't just adultery, it was adultery, and then he basically committed murder by conniving to you know, kill her husband. And you look at that sin, and then you look at the way that that they uh, reacted to it, and they, you know, they realized what they did after it was brought to their attention, and they hurt, and they, 
they basically they promised to do better and then they did do better and it wasn't just like they said well I'm gonna do better or I I'm too sinful I don't I can't do this it's they felt horrible and they did they had a dark period of inner reflection where they hated themselves so much but then they came out and as David said the boy is dead you know, now it's time to rejoice in the Lord and they promised to do better and they did do better and I think that's something that, that we all need to learn and something that I myself am still have a hard time trying to find is that even when we fall we need we need to just promise to do better and then do do better you're exactly right I, I would say again what I said yesterday in one of the classes is when we think that to get God's acceptance or other people's we have to try to pretend to be better than what we are. We've missed it. We need to be honest with who we are. A broken and a contrite heart God does not despise. What God wants from us is humility, reality, and confession, and honesty, not perfection. And when we just kill ourselves is when we try to keep up the front and it's not real. That's what I'd say to all that. What other comments do you have? That's an excellent question. Yes. Um, like in the church, we had a girl that was starting to fall away, and a few of us were taking her aside and confronting her about it, and it helped her so much better because she didn't realize what she was doing. And so it's a lot easier sometimes when you see somebody doing wrong and they don't stop. It's a lot easier to confront them about it and then they can change. It's a good thing to do. That's one of the ways of being a friend. And sometimes we're just too. Um, I don't know, we're too scared, we're too intimidated to really be a friend to somebody who needs it. Good point. Other comments? 13 to 16. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king, who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign. Whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun, with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been uh, before him. They also, they also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Alright, look at the scenario here. You've got a poor wise lad who's come out of prison and he bumps off an old foolish king who won't listen anymore. You know, you wouldn't expect the poor lad coming out of prison to be able to take over and overthrow the old king. But it happens. But then what happens is, there's a second guy that comes along and he supplants the poor lad out of prison. And so on and so forth it goes. The point of this little section is to tell you that popularity is empty. Because it won't last. It's, it's empty and chasing the wind. Can you see that popularity doesn't last? What can you see in that? What are some examples you've seen where popularity doesn't last? Um, 
Saul. Saul, yes. What are some examples you see in everyday life? Yes. Now, this is long before you guys' time. It's amazing to me what recent things are long before you guys' time. But, believe it or not, the first George Bush, after the first Gulf War, was insanely popular. It was like he hit, he went off the charts in popularity. It was just 18 months before the next election. I remember thinking, there's no reason for the Democrats to run a candidate. I mean, he had like 90% popularity or some ridiculous figure like this. And 18 months later, some unknown Arkansas governor with a very uh, improper past came out of nowhere and won. It was like, if you'd have told anybody 18 months before that would have happened, everybody would have said that's ridiculous. It happened. But you guys know that in some of your experiences. What about like musical groups? Do they stay popular? Some do. Most part, no. Mostly, the guys who were great to five years ago, <laughs> nobody likes today. Isn't that true? You know, and entertainers and actors, sports figures. You know, the great, the great, you know, basketball players or whatever. Pretty soon it's somebody else. I mean, you know, I don't know who's, who's the... Uh, who is that guy in the NBA that's supposed to be so good these days? LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron James. I mean, you know, who was the previous generation's LeBron James? Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. Who was in the middle between the two? Kind of still is, but not quite as much as LeBron James anymore. Kobe Bryant? He's still up there. Yeah. Is he still up there? But he's not quite LeBron James, is he, or is he? I don't know. I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like, it cycles. It does. And LeBron James, 10 years ago, who was LeBron James? You know, nobody. And, and, and the musical, I don't even know the musical stuff, so I don't know, but you guys know that. And it's like, it's just, it's fast. I mean, Matt, they, they go up and they come down just like that. And, uh, you know, it's popularity. Don't think, you know, just don't put much stock in that. You're popular today, you're nobody tomorrow and vice versa. Good principles for this life, good things to learn. Comments or questions so far? Alright, look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice to fools. For they do not know what they will uh, know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For the dreams come through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in praying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better than you should. Uh, it is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it is was that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and many wor words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult section. 
let me try to sum it up. I think he's trying to encourage reverence and respect for God and not just um, sort of a casual, uh, you know, draw attention to yourself attitude. For example, when you pray. Don't just, don't just think, well, I just talk a bunch. Make it, make it respectful. Think about that you're speaking to God. I don't mean we shouldn't be open, but, but it's not just a matter of, well, I know, I, I know my prayer is empty, so I'll just, do, I'll just you know, speak a lot of words. You know, you're not going to be, God's not going to honor you just because you talked a lot. And the same way when you sacrifice, when you serve, when you worship, you know, be respectful. Take it seriously. The, the one that's clearest here and easiest to see, what about when you make a promise to God? Is it wrong to make a promise to God? No. But man, what do you have to do when you make a promise to God? You know what I think when I hear somebody who made a promise to God? I hate it. I know some people who have done it and it's helped. Man, I hate it. I hate it every time I hear it because it scares me. You know, it's like, man, would you have to take God really seriously? You don't make a promise to God. And I keep it. So you've got to really, really be sober and serious. You know, you pray. Mean it. You worship. Mean it. Think about the greatness of God. Really come to respect and, and, and reverence Him. To where to where you're not just sort of casual and flippant in your relationship with Him. He is a great God. Comments and questions on that? Let's get one more little section in here. Eight and nine. you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. Okay, so, um, you know, don't be surprised at the oppression and denial of justice. There's going to be a lot of injustice in government. Why? Power corrupts. Power corrupts. This is kind of a different principle in this passage. Do you see what it is? What's he saying in verse 8? Competitiveness? No, no, I don't think so. Do you see his point? I think the idea is it's a corrupt system. When the boss is corrupt... Is he going to blow the whistle on his corrupt subordinates? You know, it kind of becomes sort of, I protect you, you protect me. And it becomes a corrupt system. You know, one guy on the take is overseeing the other guy on the take. And so the whole thing just becomes crooked. That is a fact of life. I see it in Brazil in, incredibly. In Brazil, it's amazing. It's where we're going if we're not careful. For example, I'll tell you what they do in Brazil. And uh, I confirmed this. This is really what happens. You stick a $50 bill in your, uh, like in your car registration paper. And when you get pulled over, just give the officer the paper with the $50 bill. You'll be off the hook. And, and most of the time it works. In this country still, we might be afraid to do it. <laughs> we might get prosecuted for doing it. There, that's the way you do it. You know, there's so much just natural. You know, everybody expects everybody to be corrupt. It just kind of becomes the atmosphere. 
that's the danger, and that's one of the that's one of the frustrating factors in life. There's so much more in Ecclesiastes. Uh, you've listened really patiently. I know this is it's really hard to stay awake. I think all of you've done that. I appreciate that. Uh, and uh, so, uh, I don't know. There's there's time here, there, and yonder throughout the day. Not very much, but you know, ten minute naps help me. Let me help you. And uh, actually, there's a little bit of a break of time.